Hi, thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Kim Hicks, Vice President of Business Development with the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing. And I feel privileged to have with us today, Lori Laxton, who is with our diamond partner, Ability Network. And I'd also like to take this time to express our gratitude toward Ability, who has graciously agreed to be our premier sponsor for our upcoming 2021 conference in April. So just a little bit about Ability, and then we'll jump into our very, very relevant topic today, which is infection control. So Ability Network is a leading provider of cloud-based integrated software applications to the long-term post-acute care industry. Thousands of skilled nursing facilities across the U.S. rely on Ability applications to deliver meaningful insights and drive their performance improvement efforts for high-quality care and optimal clinical and financial outcomes. This comprehensive suite of user-friendly tools helps SNFs prepare for survey, improve star ratings, reduce costs, optimize reimbursements, and enhance resident quality of life. So Lori, I'm so excited to have you. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it on to you. Why don't you first tell us really what your story is and kind of your experience, because I know the reason why we're so excited to have you today is because you're really quite an expert in infection control. So I'm going to pass it on to you, and then we'll dig right in. You know, honestly, infection control has been my passion, and it's been in my blood for a long time. I received my RN and my bachelor's degree at UCLA and then went on to operating room, which of course is a lot of infection prevention in there. And then I went on to become a nurse coordinator, both at UCLA and then Good Samaritan Los Angeles. I was also a former auditor for both acute care. And I also audited skilled nursing facilities for several years before I came to Ability Network. I've been at Ability Network now for a little over five years, and I'm the clinical education program lead and the board certified infection preventionist for our company. And I really try to stay abreast of regulatory issues, and I do a lot of training of long-term care staff in the use of our technology solutions to, like you said, monitor their data analytics, make sure that they're doing their government reporting on time, and, and really analyze their data around quality, reimbursement, and of course, infection control. So I am very passionate about keeping abreast of this pandemic and the newest latest government regulations that have come out. I am going to be presenting a breakout session at the APAC in 2021 conference. And the topic I'll be presenting on is how to use technology to help manage your infection prevention and control programs. We're excited for your session. So let's dig in today. So I'm just going to start off with this first question. So we have plenty of time to hear all of your great information. So the first question is, how often should we be testing our staff within our facility for COVID? You know, that is a very multifaceted answer. The reason being is there is a baseline that the government gives you. In, I want to say, late August of 2020, they released an interim final rule outlining the guidelines for how often you have to test your staff for COVID. And then they updated it in, I want to say it was September 29th-ish, so you can Google search that. And the rules are clearly outlined in the data.cms.gov site. So if you do an internet search 
and type in COVID-19 nursing home data, that data.cms.gov site is usually the first one that comes up. Everything you need to know about staff testing is going to be in that site. And you'll see several paragraphs. And right about the middle of the screen, there'll be a lot of guidelines that have links that you can click on. So the main baseline testing that you need to do of your staff is going to be based on community spread of the COVID virus in your community. And they color code it like a stoplight, green, yellow, and red. And what they do is they color code it every two weeks. And so they update the data every two weeks. And the reason for this is that your staff is out in the community. And so if the community spread of the disease is high, your staff is going to the grocery store. They're taking their kids to school in some areas. They're taking their kids to practices and things like that. So because they're out and about in the community, if the spread is very high, it's highly likely that your staff could be bringing this into your building. And so the CDC post these county positivity rates every two weeks. And the colors, the way they work, is if your county is in the less than 5% category, you'll be green. If your county is listed in yellow, then the test positivity rate in the community for COVID is around 5 to 10%. And then if your county is in red, your county is greater than 10%. And they have some risk adjustments they do. When they first rolled it out, some of the rural counties, their data was skewed because they have such a low population and they might only have had a couple of cases of COVID and it put them in the red. So CMS did fix some of the risk adjustments there. So what you need to do is first figure out what color your county is in. And once you do that, the guidelines tell you, based on your color, how often you need to test your staff. So if you're red, you need to test your staff twice a week. If you're yellow, you would be testing your staff once a week. And if you're in the green, you only have to test once a month. So that's the first piece. That's the baseline of how often you need to test your staff. Then there are some other caveats. So if you have a symptomatic staff member, individual staff member, you're going to need to test them immediately. You're already doing some symptom checks when you first come in the door. If they've got a fever and things like that, you're immediately going to be testing them. And then the third caveat to all of this of when you need to test your staff is if you happen to have an outbreak in your building. And keep in mind, CMS has outlined and defined an outbreak as one new staff case or one new resident case that's originated in your building of COVID. So in that case, then they've got you testing your staff all of them have to get tested for COVID and for that SARS-CoV-2 virus immediately. And anybody who was just tested, so let's say you tested a staff member yesterday, everybody has to be retested so you have a baseline. And then you're going to test your staff every three to seven days until you have no new positive SARS-CoV-2 viruses being reported for 14 days. So you got to be clear for 14 days and then you can go back to your county positivity rate. So long answer, but okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, lots but of ways. Great information to keep track of. So let's move on to the next question. And that is, tell us the definition of HAI and then how do we determine when to claim the infection as HAI versus CAI? Another good <laughs> big like the questions. Yeah, so. right. <laughs> um, 
So the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services officially defines an HAI or a healthcare-associated infection as an infection that a person gets while they're receiving healthcare for another condition, as opposed to a CAI, which stands for a community-acquired infection, or one that a SNF would consider acquired outside of their building or present on admission. The key to this defining what is an HAI and crediting it to my building, I find is best if you picture it as a calendar. Now, I have been all over this for months because the CDC and the branch of the CDC, the NHSN, has had documentation and they just released more documentation, updated documentation in January of 2021, just a few weeks ago. And if you look for their document, it is titled Identifying Healthcare Associated Infections. So again, if you do an internet search, and I have provided APAC in with some of these links to these documents that I'm referencing if you want to add it to your site when you publish this podcast. But the CDC and the NHN have had a definition of what they define is an HAI. Well, then, if you recall, last fall, CMS has proposed a new SNF QRP HAI measure. The measure's title actually is Skilled Nursing Facility healthcare associated infections requiring hospitalizations measure. That's the title of it. In there, they have been defining an HAI slightly differently with regards to a timeline than the CDC and NHSN has. And so I've been submitting questions to CMS during the comment period. Say, hey, we need to get this defined. Exactly what is, what do you consider an HAI in a SNF? When do we need to attribute it to our building? And they just released their comments to this proposed measure in the last week. And it's a, I want to say, 97-page document. But if we flash forward to page 1415, they actually answered my question. And they did put a pictorial of it so you can visually see when it is attributable to your SNF. And I'm actually going to read a quote from what they said. We acknowledge that the SNF HAI differs from the NHSN timeline. The incubation period for the SNF HAI measure is more liberal than the NHSN timeline and gives SNFs an extra day before starting the attribution timeline. NHSN HAI starts on day three of admission, whereas the SNF HAIs start after day three of admission. The incubation window is extended one day for SNF HAI measures to accommodate the use of claims as the data source. Another difference is that the SNF HAI measure applies the post-discharge attribution window using a three-day timeline. So to clarify, and, and honestly, I did this. They gave us a calendar and they showed us day one, two, three of admission into the SNF all the way to discharge. And then they proposed if the patient went from the SNF to the community and then to a hospital. But it also would apply if they are discharged from our building and went into the hospital. If on the claim, the hospital claim, you have a diagnosis code of an infection that wasn't on the SNF claim, that's when this SNF QRP measure is going to trigger. So if you were to draw out a calendar, starting with day one, two, three, four, all the way up to discharge in the SNF, and then after discharge, do a day one, two, three, four, five. On day four, 
after admission into the SNF, that's when it's considered an HAI attributable to my SNF. And that goes all the way till discharge and then three days after discharge. So if a person comes down with an infection during day one, two, or three after SNF discharge, that's also going to be attributable as an HAI back to the SNF. And again, Kim, both of those documents, I gave you the links if you want to put it into the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's great information and so timely that last night you sent me this email. So, Oh, it just came out. I literally just read the answer and I was so excited because I have been submitting to CMS. I ask on every webinar, I go to every ODF to clarify, you know, and they admitted the definition, the timeline is different for a SNF HAI versus the NHSN general acute care definition of an HAI. Right, which is just so critical for our SNFs to be aware of this. So I appreciate all of this great information. So I have one final question. So we haven't heard a lot of people talking about flu season, but this is an important key question as well. So what is the best way to manage flu season along with COVID? Well, like you said, we're in the midst of it. We're right in the middle of it and it goes through March. So surveillance really is the key to managing all infections within your facility. And I think starting the review of your data from your EMR and then any additional clinical quality data analytical software you might have and really start with your vaccinations. Look at your flu vaccinations, look at your pneumonia vaccinations. And then of course, now we've got our COVID vaccines and the NHSN has now asked SNFs to start reporting the COVID vaccines. There's already a reporting module for the flu vaccines. It's optional still for the COVID vaccines, but they're highly encouraging it so they can keep track. So tracking those vaccinations and who did and who did not receive the vaccine will help you meet some of those baseline CMS requirements of participation. You really need to have an ongoing systematic collection, a way to analyze and interpret, and then disseminate that data out to your staff to help prevent outbreaks and also drive your QAPI initiatives. So if you're using your electronic tools at your disposal, you can, like I said, identify your benchmarks and your baselines, evaluate and comparison your HAIs and who and who hasn't had the vaccines, And then, of course, share your data across all your teams and then use that data to drive your performance improvement plans. Okay, so, I mean, all of this is perfect to really lead into what you're presenting at conference, and that's how to use that technology. So with Ability and along with your EMR, you're going to be in great shape and you all should be listening to her (laughs) session because I think it's so important. And, you know, with now the newest vaccination being added, assuming that all of your EHRs have obviously added that into the mix for documentation, it's going to be so, so important. I am a complete data junkie and I love all of this because it does lead right into QAPI. And, you know, we've been talking about all of this for so many years, but boy, you know, hopefully these new habits that everybody's going to get into due to the pandemic are really going to stick and, you know, be great going forward. So agreed. Amazing information, Lori. I feel privileged, as I said, to have you talk with us today and taking your time out, especially on a Friday. Well, thanks for asking me. I appreciate it. 
Absolutely. So hopefully we will all be at your session this coming April. So Thanks, thank Kim. You so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You're invited to refresh, renew, and refocus at the APACAN 2021 virtual conference this April 14th and 15th and April 21st and 22nd. Get ready for the new year, an entirely new type of virtual event. Registration is now open. Members of ANAC, AADNS, and APACAN save 50%. Learn more and register today at aapacn.org.